I watch film, but I'd be honest, I mean, when I first started watching film, I was just watching the game. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the UK Packers podcast. As usual, I'm your host at NFL on Twitter. And of course, follow the group at UK Packers. And of course, with me old buddy, me old pa, at Ryan Peacock NFL in the studio. Ryan, Ryan, this is bad. Jesus. It was bloody atrocious is what it was. Ugh. It was terrible, wasn't it? I mean, I've always said with with the NFL football season, this is different to basketball and baseball where, I know you've said it before, there's 7,000 games every season. And it's great to watch it, but if you miss one here and there, it doesn't really matter because there's 7,000 more anyway still to go. With football, though, you've got 16 games. You've got the preseason, people watch it, but then you've got 16 meaningful games. Um, and then hopefully you get a few more if you get into the playoffs. So even when a team's not particularly performing great or if you're losing a game, you still want to stick with that game and watch it because, you know, you, you don't get a lot of football, do you? No. So, but this game, honestly, the other night, I, I really felt for the first time, and I, I can't remember feeling like this before watching a Packers game, I really felt like, to be honest, if we weren't doing what we do, where we, you know, have to follow it, have to tweet it, have to Facebook it, everything else I probably would have turned that game off yeah and that's the first I can't ever remember feeling like that before I don't know about yourself yeah it's bad and do you know what as bad as it is for the normal sort of average Packer fan out there who watches the game and then parks it after you know feels a bit miserable of a Monday has to read some stuff you know you can block it out to a degree if you're not running the fan group but because me and you are are run the fan group it's an everyday thing it's a 24 7 thing it's a seven days a week 365 days a year 366 on a leap year and so it do you know what i i equate it to it's kind of like being a psychologist or psychiatrist is as much as you want to get away from the humdrum depressive sort of you know really difficult things to deal with in life your job is to go in and sit on a couch and let somebody talk at you all of their deepest darkest fears anxiety and just really really rough stuff for that person bad childhoods whatever now now again that sounds very serious now that i say it out loud but it's kind of it's an equivalent to that where it's just a melting pot we've run in the fan group isn't it where we constantly get bombarded on twitter and instagram and facebook and email and people are hitting the website and it's just the only thing that we've got this past week and that's why we put back the podcast for a day just to gather ourselves because i don't know how a psychologist can sit in and and take all of these issues and not bring some of it home you know not let that get in on them and i think with us getting all of this just abuse because it's not directed at us in any way but it's directed at the team and we hear the same stuff over and over and over again um you know fire mccarthy fire ted thompson um and it's it's hard, Ryan, isn't it? I mean, it, the, the wave, the tidal wave of hurt that the Packers fans are feeling has been magnified at UK Packers HQ. Yeah. And me and you, and I'd, I'd say from my personal experience, and you, you can tell me how you feel about it, but I'm not going to go and stand up on a soapbox and preach to anybody and say that they can't be annoyed, that they shouldn't be saying that, that they can't be calling for players or coaches to go because the anger is real and it's appropriate, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think what the way I'm looking at the Tennessee game is that essentially it was the tipping point. Because, and I know you said you're not going to stand there and tell people when they can and can't say something. I do a bit of that. I get a bit carried away sometimes. If I think somebody's talking trash, then I say it. And I think in the first couple of losses this season, people were coming out with this crazy, 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 I don't, I don't know. Yeah, we try not to swear in the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> this is the thing we told people we're going to try. We're going to try not to. Uh, but yeah, so it's just just a crazy mess, basically. And, um, you know, it's hard not to get wound up in that and, and say to somebody, you know, already calling for co- the coach's head, already saying that this has failed, that has failed and so on. But like I say, for me, the Tennessee game is the tipping point and... I don't think I'm overreacting because I've, I've I've felt it for a few weeks. I didn't want to put it out there. I didn't want to be the negative guy. But certainly now after that that game, I mean, we were 21 points down, 21 points behind in the at the end of the first quarter. Yeah. You know, we it, it, the whole game was just horrible and pathetic. You know, converted on four out of 15 third downs. 
You know, it's just it's just not good enough. I tell you, Ryan, like it isn't. It really, and we have to address it. I tell you what, this say we're going to do the format for for the listeners, right? We're we're not because I think what we can do is we can spiral around in the ball of anger, um, for a good four hours and then not get anywhere at the end of it. So what, how we structure it is, is let's talk about the Tennessee game. Let let's let's open up the main coat. Let's show the ghoulies, um, and then we'll get on to what we think is there going to be a coaching change should there be a coaching change we've been discussing it the last two weeks and we've had different opinions but as you said this is the tipping point and um it was grisly it's the stats behind all this game and i'm sure people have probably heard them and we regurgitate some of the stats that uh, we've sort of gleaned from online um but this loss look okay i know i said i wouldn't sort of try sugarcoat it and i'm not but like the Colts game, it all comes down to individual plays, right? I mean, if you look at the Colts, we what did we open up to a, a kickoff return? The very first play of the game, 99 yards kickoff return? Yep. And then with the Tennessee game, if you look at the individual stuff, like we they had balls to begin with, balls of steel, because they went for the onside kick from the outset. We started, for, what was it, from the Tennessee 49-yard line? See, can, I, can I just, on that, the, the, you mentioned it there, the onside kick on the opening kickoff of the game. Yeah. Well, I mean, what does that say to to me? That just says that they were not only incredibly confident, but maybe that they saw a team that had visible weaknesses. In, and I'm talking like mental, like confidence mm. issues. That do you they think could come that, out Ryan? There. Yeah. Do you I think? Mean, do you it, think it's is it desperation or is it them? Look, is it them going? We have to do something to beat this team, or are they saying we can do anything to beat this team? No, I, I think it's quite quite simply they thought they could come out and get a jump on it because. You know, I don't, I don't know. Part of me wants to say, you know, one, it's. Do you, can you say it's disrespectful? I don't know because it's just gamesmanship. It's, it's a play call and it's a gutsy one. It didn't work out for them. Mm. But something says there that nobody's afraid of the Green Bay Packers. Yeah. You know this kind of thing where, um, you know, you used to you used to play Man, Man United back. You know five six seven years ago yeah and every time you went there you, you were afraid to go into old trafford to go and play man united because they were a dominating team they had every referee in the league in their pocket ah, um, no. Yeah. Ah, ah, no. all right yeah but you know what i'm saying right yeah. so they had this aura about them um and you know now probably the patriots maybe have that aura mm. maybe the seahawks have that about them yeah um green bay i think probably used to have that about them but no, I don't think anybody's afraid of playing Green Bay. And I think it's because teams, and especially to try that trick right at the start, the opening kickoff, I think teams just think that there's a weakness there and they can they can try and take advantage of that. If they had recovered that ball, this game could have been even worse. Yeah. Look, I do look at it as... Kind of, there was some plays during the game that I remarked on Twitter that it is a lack of respect and someone said oh no it wasn't it's not a lack of respect it's them playing the game no I, do you know what I think for them to do some of the stuff that they did it's like what you're saying that we can do whatever the hell we want to do and we don't really think that the Packers can do anything about it and do you know what the, the painful part about it is is that they're right because they, it started with the onside kick we get the ball in a fantastic position we need to make a few first downs maybe one two to get the field goal at least and they risked mm-hmm. that from the very start. We all know what happens when you lose momentum from the very start of a game. We saw it against the Colts. So the Titans were playing with the prospect that they could be a touchdown down. Because were the Packers not maybe in the top three, if not number one? It was some crazy stat that they score on opening drives. They don't get the, the touchdown, but they certainly get points on the opening drive. They're one of the top teams in the league. Mm-hmm. So... We don't capitalise on that. We go three and out, which is embarrassing. I think that was almost the story for the game, wasn't it? The yeah. moment you saw them get that and you go, right, if we get touchdown here now, that's a statement, and then you end up punting it. Yeah. And and what, what were the, the, the Titan stats or something like touchdown, 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 punt, <laughs> then touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. You know, it was just nuts. But th- this is what we... I, I said this last against the Colts, and I think it is important to address it to try get a slight bit of perspective on it. So we had that onside kick. We went three and out. That's bad on our part. But then we let go of that 75-yard touchdown run by DeMarco Murray, who is the second best running back in the league. So it's no surprise that he gouged us, but to gouge us for 75 yards on the first play from scrimmage, that's criminal. Well, we must have been quite aware as well that he was one of their main threats. 
Yeah. Him and Delaney Walker, we highlighted it on the last podcast. There's two dudes you need to worry about. Mariota, again, is having a dynamite season. He is he can pass the deep ball better than anybody else, almost. So and he's a running threat as well. And I think he's the 2014 Heisman Trophy winner. So this guy has pedigree and he's shown it in the league because himself and James Winston got a ring of fire when they came into the league they were thrown in the deep end and I think in one of the first games they went up against each other and ended up putting up Madden style scores they did well so I think that when we get Gauss for a 75 yard touchdown run you're thinking okay we get bet from one pass but let me break this down because I heard people uh, Packers defensive players coming out and saying oh we were kind of fooled by this shift that they did and the, you know they, the, the Titans they never get set quickly they bounce around the line a bit to try put you off you don't know whether they're going run past whatever they're doing what their blocking scheme is who's on who and they shift around in weird ways to throw you off so they all move to the left when the run goes to the right you know stuff like that but they spoke the Packers defensive player spoke all week about that it was known they did their tape study and they even said before the game yeah we need to be careful about all the shifts that they do in movements so I mean to get burned on the first you know play of the game is just nuts so they get burned on that and you're thinking okay like what because you're you're a big advocate of that Ryan right that one play on special teams can sort of screw you and that's what happened on defense that he basically ran through untouched then after that we have the DeMarco Murray uh, pass to Delaney Walker in the end zone we're 14 zip down and both of them are arguably based off just being out coached well I thought I mean I thought that was a great call I mean, it's, it's a lovely play in it, and it worked brilliantly because as soon as he gets um, thrown the ball, obviously they're going to see DeMarco Murray. Yeah. Presume it's some sort of screen or, you know, just throwing it to the receiver in the flat, whatever it is. And then obviously it sucks everybody and he just dumps it over the top. And it's it's those kind of plays. Um, it's those kinds of plays for me that kind of lack in our playbook. Like, there's no reason we couldn't try something like that from time to time. And I know it's easy to say that when you see another team do something. Um, like, you know, it was it the other week? Was it the Cowboys punter that fake punted and then run almost the entire length of the field before going yeah, out? That was, that was by accident, though, wasn't yeah. it? He uh, scuffed the catch. Yeah, you know, and there's things like this. So it's not just that you see it and you go, oh, you know, why, why can't we ever do that? It's not that. It's when you see plays like that, they're not. It's not like that's a completely new concept that nobody's ever done before. Mm. That's something that, bearing in mind that most of these players were probably their high school quarterback, because doesn't that always seem to be the way that yeah. they're a quarterback at high school and then as they go up through college and it's harder, and then they become a receiver, a running back, a defensive player. Yeah, that sort of thing. So most of these guys can throw a ball. I mean, me and you can throw a ball. Yeah. You know? Um, it's kind of like when you see something like that, you you have to take take the Packers hat off for a minute and go. Do you know what? Just good, just good football play. Yeah. And then you kind of think to yourself, why? When are we going to do that? When are we going to try something different? Mm. Yeah, and I look at plays like that and I go, look, the seventy-five yard touchdown run. Yeah, that was awful defensive play, but it's on one play that they've given up so many yards. So you sort of say, you know, one good block, the wrap tackle, they don't get fooled by the motion, then we're not down by a touchdown. And then the other one, that, as you said, that's a clever play. Um, It sucked up the defensive players and safeties to try to come and stack the box against the run because Murray has the ball. You don't expect them to throw it. I don't know what the stats are. I severely doubt that DeMarco Murray's ever done that in his career before. So you can't plan for that. So we're down two touchdowns now. And you're sort of thinking, you know, you can you can reason them away. And then the other one, of course, is the muffed punt from Trevor Davis. And again, I hear all this lark online about, oh, there was a bad ref's call. He shouldn't have got tackled before the ball hit the ground and all this type of stuff. At the end of the day, if he hadn't muffed the ball or muffed the punt, um, it wouldn't have been an issue. He should have caught the ball. He called for the fair catch and that's what he's going to be training to do all week. He's a wide receiver. He's supposed to have good hands. You make yeah. the catch. And the thing is, if you're on any sort of kick return or punt return, uh, it's not the hardest skill in the world. I don't understand why so many people struggle with it. I mean, when you you played rugby, I'm guessing at some point. Yeah. Were you? Did you play fullback or, or wing or anything? Oh, Paul O'Connell, you know, I was in his position. But yeah, look, I was one of the speedy <laughs> sort no of guys. You know what I mean? Was it Paul O'Connell a lock? Uh, it was, yeah. That's what I used to play. You know, I used to be there to first in the try. rook. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to convince me that you played luck. Okay, fine. Yeah. Sorry, I thought you. I thought you'd play in the backs, but that's. I mean, it's a skill. When that ball comes down, yes, it moves about. Mm. If there's wind or there's weather, 
it moves around anyway because it's a funny shaped ball and the but, punters will do that as well they'll have specialist kicks where they send it a bit of a wobble you know yeah yeah and do the end over end and all that sort of stuff but at the end of the day the only thing that was wrong was that the fact he didn't catch it so you can blame refs we can blame this that and the other no not for me the guy just didn't catch the ball just yeah. wasn't executed yep yeah. and- I almost went into saying something then along the lines of uh, McCarthy then I almost went into fundamentals but I, tried, I left it out yeah, you see, it's so easy to go into your McCarthyisms, <laughs> is what we call them. So, look, that's a muffed punt. And again, off that play, they went down and scored a touchdown. Uh, so now we're 21 zipped down. You know, you can see reasons why it's happened, and it does sometimes come down to individual plays. Um, and as well as that, the amount of injuries now we have. So TJ Lang is out, Bakhtiari's out. You know, that's, that's not going to help. It's just, look, it's a mixture of injuries stacking up, us not having the players to be able to make any plays. The players that are supposed to make the plays like catch the ball don't. And our defensive depth has been absolutely um, exposed. But what really gets to me in this game, Ryan, is is that it's not even the young lads that we don't have depth in. Uh, Micah Hyde had possibly the worst game of his career. He was an absolute embarrassment. Clinton Dix also dropped the ball, not literally, um, because he was never in a position to intercept it. He dropped the ball big time when it came to plays. And... This is a small thing and it might be a bit petty, but on the DeMarco Murray touchdown run, was one of our safeties or defensive backs not close enough to him to make a last gasp push or tackle and the two of them, he just jogged them to the end zone. Yeah. Now, I thought I had a bad angle, but I looked at it again. I think he could have put it on the burners and at least tried to shove him and see what happens. Yeah, I don't know. I think certainly the first time I see it, it's a camera angle thing. But then I looked um, at it from a different angle and it does look like he could do something. I just didn't understand. He almost got in the way. I think Clinton Dix was chasing him. And I can't remember who it was that got in front of Clinton Dix almost. And I was thinking that was definitely a heel tapper and stranger things have happened. Like, Yeah, and I, I get what you're saying. I, I, have to defend, I have to defend the player there. I think if he could have got him and he could have made a difference, he would have done. I can't think there's any player that's going to let a guy run in a, just, just, just free if he feels he can get to it. So... I don't know. I don't know. Okay, I haven't seen the other camera angle you're talking about, so I can't comment on that. But I think if if we're going to start, we have to be careful that we don't question uh, essentially a player's integrity there. Oh, no, but I'm not questioning his integrity, but it's almost like, okay, we'll give you that one. It's the same play as in the Super Bowl. Uh, Cam Newton fumbles the ball and the ball is bobbling on the ground and he didn't jump down and get it. He said after the game, oh, I thought I'd wait and see if the ball had squirked out when the other player from the the Patriots got it and you're like what What type of logic is that that you're going to let the Patriots player get on it and hope that it squirts out you know and that's just it's one of those plays that I look at and go I don't understand that I, you know it's easy to to look back in hindsight even as a player and say oh I did that because of this thing but in the heat of the moment I don't understand why you don't put the burners on because just look at them Ryan they're jogging and there's a few occasions in the game that I noticed that there was one in particular I think it was Henry he went on a run and he was doing, a, I swear to God, it was in the second quarter. He was doing a light jog and he was just barely ambling and letting people in front of him just lightly knock off the Packers defensive players and lightly jogging up the field for the first down and more. And he yeah. he wasn't even breaking a sweat. I think it's a lack of energy again and a lack of effort. Yeah, yeah. I was I was just going to say, I think that all links into this this thing about a lack of juice, a lack of energy. Mm. Um there's definitely something on the field. I know a lot of play, uh, people that sort of tweeted into us or, or messaged us on Facebook and so on. Um, quite a number of them messaged the fact that it looks as though the players aren't giving 100%. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that's just because we're losing. Mm. Um, probably is, to be fair, because if you're winning, then you're guessing they're doing everything right. But certainly that people are starting a question out there whether, the, whether they're, they're fully into this or whether they've almost already you know throwing the towel in to use a boxing phrase so when when you're looking at the amount of injuries and you you mentioned depth as well it made me think everyone always says don't they about the 2010 season when we won the super bowl the amount of players that were injured so i went back and had a look at that and the list is vast yeah and the amount of starters as well pure starters that had started for a number of seasons um just to name a few off the top of my head i think i remember you know mark tauscher offensive lineman I think Nick Barnett, Brady Popinga, that were that were the starting linebackers. You know, there was there was players in there that were 
big important players for a team that were injured and there must and there was name after name after name and it continued so then the guy that came in would get injured and they'd have to back up again mm. now they managed to go on obviously and win the Super Bowl that year because they had the depth there they'd obviously drafted well they'd obviously picked up um, and this was another thing that Ted Thompson, everyone always said he was, he was brilliant at doing, was picking up these road free agents, yeah. these guys that just bounced around looking for a job someplace and he'd be able to find the best ones. We did that well that year. Um, and obviously, we, you know, we went on to good things and we overcame that adversity. This year injuries have been bad, but they've surely been no worse than that year in 2010. You know, OK, we did lose all of our running backs, but you have to feel that back in 2010 would have just found someone from somewhere to fill a gap. Yeah, you know, and we probably did, you know. So, so something's not been as good. There's there's problems on the field certainly with players, and I think there's when it comes down to the depth thing. Obviously, that's an off the field thing, and I know we're going to talk about more about that later on. But I mean, let um, me let me talk about injuries here then, right? Now we understand it on the defensive side of the ball, but if you want to talk about um, team makeup and all the rest of it, we have Aaron Rodgers. And I'm not going to give you this line, if we have Aaron Rodgers, we always have a chance. That's lazy journalism. So we have Aaron Rodgers, uh, who's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. That's proven by stats over the years. Uh, we have Jordy Nelson. We have Randall Cobb. We have Devontae Adams, who's absolutely playing out of his skin. Is that not enough weapons? Have we not got three absolutely legit wide receiver targets in the league? I mean, Jordy Nelson, up until he, when the season before he busted his ACL... He was the second best wide receiver in the league. I read now that he's number one in touchdown receptions, catches. So I don't think there's been any layoff from his performance, is there? He no. doesn't look like he's any less of a player than he was before the injury. Now, is he being targeted as much? Is he get? Is, you know, there were so many plays as well in that Tennessee game and previous in the in the Colts game and before that the Falcons game, where the one thing that I, I think I want to call Aaron Rodgers on is. He seems to focus in on one guy and then doesn't seem to be able to come away from it. So quite often he was zeroing on Jordy Nelson and Devontae Adams or Randall Cobbs running free. Mm. You know, it, we don't seem to be seeing it very well. Um, so I think we do have the legitimate options that you're talking about. Are we able to um, zone in on them and find them? Yeah consistently and I think that's the bit we're struggling with yeah because and that is true because um, looking back on some of the tape study of I think it's about four three four weeks ago or whatever um, and he kept trying to go to Randall Cobb and then switching to Nelson Cobb Nelson Cobb Nelson Cobb Nelson and meanwhile Trevor Davis is hitting the seam route completely uncovered and we can't get him so he is guilty of that and that was evident in the Titans game where Jordy Nelson, if he kept on pace, would have nearly got up onto Don Hudson's record of um, catches in a game. That's how much he was being targeted. There was once in the second quarter where he was just he just kept getting hit the whole time. Um, and Aaron Rodgers is guilty of doing that. He's definitely guilty of picking one person. But in a way, I can understand because if you get success from one wide receiver in a game, it's maybe not because the wide receiver is just unbelievable. It's a mixture of it's good wide receiver play it's good route calling from the coaches and also he's consistently beating his defensive player so why not pick on that guy if you're getting success that whole time so that's why you'll always try go to that guy and always look for him on your first read because you're killing him and that's where you get good quarterbacks will pick on a guy you know a slow cornerback or someone who can't deal with you but i don't understand how everyone keeps saying oh yeah it's the injuries they just can't deal with the injuries yeah, on defense, yes. Uh, but we do have... We can stack the run the majority of the time. Blake Martinez is unbelievable. Um, but the defense, there's no pass rush from the existing players who should know better and be able to get more production. And our secondary... Look, Ryan, I said it on the last podcast and I'll reiterate it. And this is my stance and my opinion and I'll never change it. Zonal defense doesn't work. It doesn't work. Not in today's NFL. It doesn't work. Dom Capers defense is is a dinosaur in this league. It doesn't work. And we've seen time and time again where uh, we see the tight end or the wide receiver move from one zone to the next. And it's there's a busted coverage in the second zone um, that the safety doesn't pick him up. You don't get help. They don't adjust to what the best player is. So Delaney Walker was the one player that you had to cover. 
and they couldn't do it. There was a few embarrassing plays where I think it was Hyde was diving on him and then spinning off him like a... Yeah, more... Uh, we're going to know. use it now. Fundamentals, isn't it? Getting the tackles wrong. I think the only time... The zone zone defence, like you said, is is an issue and we don't seem to do it very well. Um, we can't completely go away from it because if you go pure man, then usually it means you forget about the running back. And now, obviously, in this league, more and more running backs can, can run. Um, sorry, more more and more quarterbacks can run, sorry. Mm. You leave the quarterback able to, to go where he wants. So you need an element of zone there. We don't seem to be dealing very well with it, particularly in the secondary. Um, I still don't think we look too bad. I know it's going to sound mad, but I don't think we're terrible against the run. We don't go from being as good as we were at the start of the year to to where we are at now. Some, something has changed, um, and maybe that's down to energy, but... But let me jump in there, Ryan, right? So it, let's take a look at some of the defensive players' PFF stats and just see how in dire straits that we are. And you'd be absolutely shocked at some of the players that... They're veteran players. They should be making a stance and they're just not getting it done. So Haha Clinton Dix is 43 out of all safeties. And the last two weeks now, he's he played amazing against the Colts, but then gave up that late uh, tackle, which I was harsh on him for. But again, you have to execute, especially at the key moments of the game. Who wants somebody who can blaze through... Um, say let's pick a running back who wants someone who can blaze through every defense and murder them but when it comes down to a you know a third and goal and you've got one on the one yard line all you have to do is punch it in and your running back is zero for 20 on goal line stands you know like why yeah he's a great running back but he you know always the bridesmaid never the bride so Ha Clinton Dix got burned time and time again against the Titans and he's 43 in his position Look at our cornerbacks. Demarius Randall is 115th out of cornerbacks. Quinton Rollins is 76th. Micah Hyde is 66th. Our best cornerback is Adarius Gunter, and he's 32nd. That's crazy, isn't it? and he's not looked brilliant, to be no. fair. And the thing is, these players that are now in those positions, these players last year looked really, really good, I thought, Yeah. for the most part. And so... The players surely can't just suddenly... Their skills don't diminish, surely, from one season to the next. No. We must be doing something fundamentally different in our game plan. Exactly. Or or the coaching's changed, or we're trying to do something that doesn't suit us. It's exactly it. And the thing is, is I feel, and getting slightly away from the Tennessee game here is, is that the Packers have always been rescued. The Packer coaches have always been rescued based on circumstance. So you either have... A Dom Capers defense is playing atrocious, but he gets bailed out because we've got an explosive offense. Or the offense struggles and the defense is doing really, really well. It's always Jekyll and Hyde. We never get both. This season, where both are misfiring, then you have the whole team, the offense and defense, being rescued by the fact that the Vikings, the wheels have fell off. The Bears are non-existent. Uh, John Fox just can't see I think he's re- his record is something like five and a billion losses so he's doing awful and then the Lions also aren't doing too fresh but they're certainly the team of the division it says every yeah it says everything when a team can go top of the division and they don't even play that week yeah and that's Ryan, our division right now it's just not a strong division at this point no and are you so answer me this right do you think that the conversation do you think McCarthy or some of these coaches would still be able to stand on a podium and say, and I thought this was odd. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a what did he what did he call himself? I'm a I'm a highly on a, successful coach. I go. think was, was I'm a highly the successful NFL coach. No one says it. it's like the dude in your friend group who goes on about the amount of women that he's been with and he's great and this and he's he's a stud. Most of those dudes um, never get the women. So if you have to say it, you're kind of you have it means that you have to say it because no one is believing it then, you know? And that that's kind of the way... Mike McCarthy undoubtedly is a fantastic coach. He's got an unbelievable record in the NFL since he joined the Packers. But this is a league, as we all know, is what have you done for me lately? So it's no question, it's, it's no... It's blatant to see that the team are underperforming and you always go to the head of the organization to say, what are you doing? We're seeing these isolation routes, which aren't working. 
and he has to stand on a podium and say I'm a highly successful NFL coach because he kind of has to remind people look I'm, I'm not as bad as the results are showing up to be yeah and that's what kind of what it, it smacks of is, is somebody that's going almost well don't blame me for this I've you know I've got the winning record I've got the division titles I mean yeah his career with the Packers has been good over those years mm. there are those that say and I'm one of them we should have had more Super Bowls in that time yeah but you know through luck or whatever it is it's it's not happened but five divisional titles eight post post seasons you know a record of 108 to 60 and a postseason record of you know that's where I guess we've been disappointing I guess because we're around about 500 with an eight and seven but you know one NFC championship and one Super Bowl title so it's it's a far better run than a lot of franchises get mm. but we know what you've done and it's like you said what have you done for me lately sports fans are fickle and sports fans are only interested in, in, like you say, what are you doing for me almost right now? And, you know, Jose Mourinho at Chelsea was exactly that. They brought him back because he was a legend and they had a difficult season and he was sacked, mm. you know, almost w- w- without any chance to do anything about it. So it is unfortunate, but that's the modern world we live in now. Do you know there's, there's, there's not many teams out there that have few coaches. People are chopping and changing. But let me jump um, in there. Can I just jump in and say, and this is the reason, and sometimes that stuff is said in isolation like that. And like what you've just said, where you go, like, you know, that's kind of the world we live in. It's that disposable society where we throw people away. But let me just say this and how, and explain what how I feel anyway of how it isn't like that. Is that it's not a lack of loyalty if you question a coach and it's not saying like oh you know he's been great for us but we have to let him go like I, i'm really disappointed because he's been so good in the past if mike mccarthy has been found out which it looks like the green bay packers have been found out and people know how to strategize against us well then what else can he do to improve it if everyone knows what he's going to do there's fans out there aren't there Ryan who tweet us all the time saying I know what this play is going to be run nothing run nothing then try a desperate pass nobody's open and then three and out and we're off the field there's certainly a stubbornness about him isn't there there's that arrogance and let me just say this and I'm getting into dangerous territory here because we live and breathe Packers um, we do this 24-7 as part of the group and we love the Packers yada yada but I will say that there is recently, and I'm talking about the last maybe two, three years, there's an arrogance about this team and the team usually get their modus operandi from and the culture. But Mark, Mike McCarthy talked about it in his press conference. Oh, it's up to me. I'm, a, I'm an engineer. I engineer a culture. Well, listen, uh, Mike, the culture that I see, and this is my opinion, is one of arrogance. When the team are playing embarrassingly poorly, it's like they cannot take the criticism. Do you ever hear the players come out going, and then what they do is, and I'll tell you what, and this one I'm going to predict, and I'll stop talking in a second. <laughs> I predict a big game against the Redskins because we have that bounce back ability and we have the caliber of players to do it and we'll almost do it in spite of everything else. We'll have a bounce back game and trounce them and they're on fire as well. Kirk Cousins is looking good. And the Packers, what they'll do is, is, and Aaron Rodgers has done it and it's really annoyed me about him, is that he'll come out and say, well, there you go for all the people questioning us. How dare you? Because look what we can do. And if, you're, if you'd only side with us in the hard times, blah, blah, blah. And it's kind of like, stop being so arrogant. You know, you're getting paid millions and millions. You've got a job to do and you're failing at that job at the moment. We're Packers till we die. But don't be telling us kind of like, oh, well, I only like the people that stand by me in the hard times. We're allowed to criticize and we're allowed to get aghast at what's happening. And to have the arrogance to say, you know, sort of like shut up when we're doing poorly, but yeah, we'll accept your plaudits and cheers and smiles and go pack goes when we're doing well. But how dare you say anything about us when we're not playing well? Yeah, I fully agree with that. And I think that to kind of wrap this whole bit up, I don't think Rogers has been, I think Rogers kind of looks to blame others. I think McCarthy clearly by that statement looks to blame others. I don't see anybody really taking any great responsibility for what's going on right now. Yeah. I think that's what frustrates the fans most. And look at know? look at what works, Ryan, when they're on offense. I mean, when they play slants, perfect. Well, we called it, didn't we, on the last podcast? We said, you know, what what does work? It's the no huddle stuff. It's the high tempo. It's the it's the slant routes. The stuff, you know, being cute with things. You know, it doesn't have to all be like you say. We're almost seeing run, run, throw, yeah. run, throw. But everything seems to go deep or everything's the same receiver. You know, let's mix it up. Let's do something a little bit different. But yeah. we said, didn't we, 
we will play best when we go no huddle and we go quick and when we get down to that last two desperate minutes we'll suddenly look like a good offense and I think that game showed that to an extent yeah and I mean if you take out the plays that I isolated at the start the 75 yard touchdown run the Murray sort of trick shot to Delaney Walker in the end zone the muffed punt then that went down for the touchdown you know if you take all of those off the board to a degree if if people can stick to their assignment like what Bill Belichick says do your job if people were to do their job with stuff like that I mean this would be an awful lot of a closer game but is it a case that we have to be ridiculously down for the offense to open up and do something that isn't so vanilla do we have to have 21 points on the board because the scary stat is is that the Packers have trailed by 18 points in their last two games it hasn't been this bad the stats if you look at all of them haven't been this bad since 2008 you know and the Packers haven't allowed 35 they've allowed 35 points combined in the first quarters of the last two games and the scariest stat of all and we know this from doing our history podcast is is that the Packers have not allowed 30 points in four out of five games since 1953 and the coach at that time was Scooter McLean and Rhino (laughs) me and you know about this dude he's infamous how many seasons does Scooter McLean have at the helm do you know what it's terrible I can't I don't think it's many is it one he had one One, and his record was 110 and one it's the worst in Packers history better name than his record and as I've heard, yeah, I've heard stuff that people are talking about saying, oh, it's the worst since then. Let me give something else that's quite on par with what's going on at the moment and might drive this home. The year after this, Vince Lombardi came in, took over and uh, went to the postseason. On that team that Scooter McLean had, he had Jim Taylor, Bart Starr, Paul Hornung, Ray Nitschke, Forrest Gregg, Jim Ringo, Dan Curry, the list goes on, Jerry Kramer... Now, you can see the Super Bowl caliber, Super Bowl winning players that were on that team that Scooter McLean had, and he bottled it. The worst uh, season in Packers history. Is that not on par with what we have now? Aaron Rodgers, Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, Devontae Adams, Mike Daniels, Clay Matthews, Julius Peppers. If you look at all these players, we have similar caliber players, but we're not getting it done. And say what you like about injuries or whatever we got it done before and offensively there's no reason why we can't be performing because we still have the same personnel group that we had what in the 2014 season when we we're absolutely smashing it yeah i certainly think the uh, the team is tooled up uh, and should be should be performing better it should have won more super bowls i think they've definitely got the stars on the team to be doing it now and you know for a number of different reasons it's not happening like we said already tonight you know people have said about is it the players not putting 100 percent is it the system's not right? You, you've mentioned, you know, Don Capers, is he out of date, let's say? Um, is the coaching not there? Are people not taking responsibility? I think a lot of it is I'm not seeing any leaders from from the coaching staff down to the players themselves. Yeah. Okay, and we've... I, I've, I've tried to look into the idea of leadership because I know that any team I've ever played on, you know, if we've been down, you're losing, you get beat up by, by another team... There's always somebody that comes around and sort of grabs you by the shirt, starts shouting it. And sometimes it might be a complete load of crap, but he's shouting because he's trying to get a reaction. He's trying to get, you know, something going. And I wonder with leadership, is it, and and, and certainly now I'm talking locker room leaders, players, um, you know, that have this sort of, do you call it like a peer leadership where it's, it's player on player, somebody trying to get another a rise out of a player, someone trying to get something to go. You know, some people say that's a natural thing that comes from a, from a player. That's either a player has that or they don't have that. Mm. Um, but I think as well as a coach, you have to try and identify those players on your team. Um, and you have to try and nurture those players because they've got to carry the same message as you. And they just obviously present that, info, uh, that, that, that information or that message in a different way. Yeah. But... I was reading through something, uh, and this is what was nice with obviously getting the extra day to go through this, is that you kind of see how the players have reacted and how the coaches have done in their interviews. And obviously, we've already spoke about McCarthy. But J. Ron Elliott um, spoke to a couple of guys, uh, Michael Cohen and Tom Silverstein, which I'm sure you've heard yeah. uh, heard of. And, and, he, and, and I'm going to read the quote as he said it. And this this is where I think the biggest worry comes from. A-Rod is not a vocal guy. He leads by example. We'll break it down in a minute because I know at each point here you're, you're probably going to be thinking, what? 
Julius Peppers does the same thing. Clay Matthews does the same thing. So we don't have many vocal leaders beside Mike Daniels, Sitton when he was here, and TJ Lang. So my biggest issue with that is three of the three of the people that if you said to me, who do you think the leaders in the locker room would be? You'd go, well, quarterback, number one. And then you'd go, ah, oh, veteran guy Julius Peppers, he's got to be another one. And Clay Matthews, because he always seemingly has so much to say, doesn't he? You know, you see him on the field, you see him pregame. Yeah. So he's saying, well, they're not really vocal guys. And you're thinking, right, okay, so... If they're not, who is? And then he goes on to say Mike Daniels. Now, Mike Daniels, we know, is that kind of guy. We've spoke to him on the podcast. He's definitely that kind of guy. And and as you said last week, he had this thing in the locker room where I think he went and did he go into the shower room and just tore into some people, you know? So he's trying to do it. But then maybe, I think we saw in the Tennessee game, did he get called up for a taunting penalty? Yeah, he did. That really cost us. Yeah, and if, if maybe he feels like it's all on him, maybe it's going to go too far. Maybe he can't handle all of it. Then he says Josh Sitton when he was here. Well, he got he was apparently let go, we're told, because there was a negative influence in the locker room. Yeah, thought he was toxic. So go figure. So, so that doesn't make sense. And then TJ Lang, who's, who's the other guy that he says. But that got me thinking then. Like If you look back at the other successful teams in Packers history, those leaders on those teams. So I'm thinking 60s Packers straight away because we know about the success of the 60s Packers. And I just started looking through that team and I'm thinking... Could you imagine playing a team being in a locker room with the likes of, you know, Bart Starr, Taylor, Hornin, Forrest Gregg, Fuzzy Thurston, Jerry Kramer? Then you've got the defensive players, and I'm thinking, can you imagine playing in a defense where you've got alongside you, motivating you, Willie Davis, Henry Jordan, Willie Wood, Ray Nitschke, and Dave Robinson? You know, these players, even just the names, just reading the names sort of gets you going. But more so than anything else, Ryan, Vince Lombardi. If anyone was going to bark at you, it was going to be him. He'd keep you on your toes. Absolutely. What the hell's going on out there? <laughs> you know, like... Exactly right. And, you know, this, this. I kind of kept going with this theme. So in 96, Favre, Edgar Bennett, Will Henderson, Frank Winters, Reggie White, Leroy Butler. We know with Leroy Butler because we've we spoke to him as well. So you go and listen back to the podcast where Steve interviews Leroy Butler and he's all about those voices in the locker room. And he talks about several different players, doesn't he? Yeah. And about how that you know they're, they're like that, and then 2010 again, again, and I know I'm just reading out names here, but I'm just trying to really make a point. Donald Driver, Greg Jennings, Chad Clifton, you know Mark Tausch, who was on IR, he was one of those injured players that year. But you imagine he would have been focal. Mm-hmm. Ryan Pickett, Cullen Jenkins, Nick Collins, Charles Woodson, Charles Woodson, we saw right up in that build-up to the Super Bowl. He he even said himself that's not normally him, but he just felt that he had to be in that moment. Yeah, you know. And we read out all those names that were leaders. And then going back to J. Ron Elliott's quote, so nobody's vocal in that locker room besides Mike Daniels, Josh Sitton, a guy that's now playing in Chicago, and TJ Lang. So what he's saying is we've got two vocal locker room leaders. Now that for me, you can say that's on the players because it's up to the players to be leaders. But actually, as a coach... Have you done enough to nurture those leaders? And also, Ted Thompson, who we say is fantastic for drafting players and building teams, he obviously hasn't built a, built a team that has enough leaders in it because I think that's our biggest weakness right now. No leadership from the players, no leadership from the, the coaches, and with that, a complete lack of responsibility on any of their parts. Yeah, and like to, to expand on that, I like players who are aggressive, because it's an aggressive, smack-in-the-mouth type of game. Mike Daniels, love the guy. Everyone loves him. He's brilliant. Can't fault him. Yes, he got the taunting penalty. But at the same time, he's trying to jazz up the team. He's trying to get them all going. Because we were getting embarrassed. Absolutely embarrassed there against the Titans. Now, the thing is, is that I look at uh, coaches like Pete Carroll and I hate him. Jim Schwartz was a noisy guy. Um, you look at these coaches and you hate them because they're always jarring their mouth. Harbaugh's uh, at it the whole time. Jim Harbaugh was always at it. And I hated him. I was like, I can't stand his face. But at the same time, if he's your coach, he's laying it all on the line for you. So this is what you, we need from a head coach. We need a coach that has a bit of attitude. I hate Diego Costa for Chelsea. I hate him, right? <laughs> the stuff that he does, he's, he's a dirtbag. But the thing is, is that if he was playing, if I supported Chelsea, I think he's brilliant because he gets a rise out of people, he gets goals, and he's a nasty player with a nasty streak. That's not how I like to live my life on a personal basis, but certainly I like the players to have the nasty streak when they get on the pitch. 
And that's what I think we that we need from our players. We need that nasty streak. We need that aggressiveness. That's why I don't agree with the zone defense. And I think that the atmosphere and the culture in Green Bay now starts to look a bit stale. Which leads me, Ryan, an awful lot of people have asked for it. And I know we don't have a whole lot of time. We don't want to blow people's uh, megabytes open here, uh, downloading the podcast or whatever. But let's devote a bit of time here and address the issues that we have to address. Whether we agree with the stuff or not, let's have a discussion. Coaching changes. Do you adhere to any of that? The Ted Thompson, Mike McCarthy, Dom Capers going? Do you know what? Start of the season, I was saying, you know, let's not jump on that one. It's always easy to say, let's sack somebody. Um, let's get rid of people. That's a bit change. But I think, unfortunately, now it's starting to get harder and harder. And you look at three people here in this in this equation. And, and don't jump on me when I say the first one. There's three main characters in this equation, right? And that's A-Rod, uh, Ted Thompson, and Mike McCarthy. Well, A-Rod's going nowhere. Yeah. He's the franchise quarterback. He's going to stay. Um, he's not He's not done by any means. And I know we've had people, crazy people, tweeting and messaging that sort of stuff as well, but he's not done. Um, so I think you've got to look at the other two. And um, we'll start with Mike McCarthy. So what's always difficult with this is obviously mid-season, generally you don't get many mid, mid-season firings with, with head coaches. Mm. Um, so you wait to the end of the year and then obviously people can become available. But generally what seems to happen is, apart from the one or two sort of head coaches that do tend to bounce from team to team, um, a lot of the times you're going to be looking at other teams, offensive coordinators or defensive coordinators, aren't you? Yeah. And I know we've obviously both because uh, obviously talking previous to the podcast recording we've obviously spoken about the same person um and that's that daryl bevel over at seattle yeah and i wonder if he's the kind of guy um that could come in and probably be he was previously at green bay we should add he was a qb coach between 2000 and 2005 so he knows the team but he's gone away he's seen something different and as much as i don't like him and i'm sure you don't like him either is Seattle have been a, a crazy successful team over the last few years. Now, the rumours are is that Daryl Bevel will end up as a head coach of somebody. We're going through a patch where we're questioning whether our head coach is still the best man for the job. So it depends what we do at the end of the season. I'm still not convinced Green Bay get rid of McCarthy before the end of his contract. I think we may be stuck with him to the end of it. Um, but he's certainly somebody we could look at. Yeah, you see, the problem with Green Bay is is that we don't make many changes. So since Mike Holmgren left, we've only had three coaching positions as a change, and they've all been internal. So there's one thing that the Packers like to do is they like to go internally with their changes, and they don't like to do a whole lot of them. I think there's a culture in Green Bay, and maybe it's because we've done our history podcast, and again, just... Please search UK Packers on SoundCloud or iTunes and go back and listen to some of those from the beginning. You get a real sense for why the Packers are the way they are by going through those. They're conservative. And I think they're conservative because of all the bad stuff that's happened to them. Um, and that shows, Ryan, doesn't it, in, in the way Ted Thompson goes on. This whole draft and develop on a young team. Uh, you know, this is, we like to get diamonds in the rough like you were talking about. But it's kind of proven this season that that doesn't work, especially defensively. Um because the players aren't stepping up to the plate and the same applies to the coaching positions where they haven't made a whole lot of changes and they kind of stick to what they know it's like the person it's like us and it was like me I was in a job that I really didn't like the job I didn't want to move because as much as I didn't like it I was comfortable with it and I'd always make excuses like oh it'll get better next year it'll be fine and I didn't want to make that move and then eventually I got an absolutely horrific manager um, who bullied everybody on the team away from the firm 100% of the people on my team then left and that's the same here is that it's almost the Packers with the free agency they're afraid to be adventurous and make that splash and is that culture now seeping down into their play calling have they found McCarthy out but certainly Daryl Bevel is someone to look at and the Packers if they are going to go for somebody have always been offensive minded since 1992 they've hired Holmgren, Sherman and McCarthy who were all offensive coordinators before they joined the team so I think that's important as an indicator perhaps to where we could go um, what, do, what do you reckon then if you, you brought up their offensive coordinators obviously we've got one on our own team right now 
what do you reckon his chances would be? Yeah, and I know we talked about this in pre-production uh, when we have our meeting and we sort of detail how the podcast is going to go. And I, I think, Brian, we both agree on this, don't we? We have to talk about Edgar Bennett. Now, again, he's not as visible as most offensive coordinators because Mike McCarthy won't let him make the calls. We tried that before. We all seen how that went. He's been with the Packers as a player for six seasons on the sidelines for 15 years. Um, if he worked in my job... Um, he would definitely be the one to go for president or whatever, you know, because that type of experience, 21 years plus experience, you're thinking he's a company man, he's perfect for the job. But I think that's a bad choice because it's the same reason that Donald Trump, the reality TV star and defunct businessman, has now become president elect of the United States is that people are sick to the teeth and they don't want to get the same thing and Hillary Clinton as much of a monster as she is she would have been the same as Barack Obama she would have had the same sort of um, regime and that's exactly what you're getting with Edgar Bennett is that you're going to get the same he's going to operate the same the only thing that he's ever known is the Green Bay Packers so he's going to carry on that tradition holding the candle for Mike McCarthy and it's very hard for him to switch it up like who you mentioned, uh, Daryl Bevel, I mean, he was with us from 2000 to 2005. Um, he has that affiliation with Wisconsin anyway. He was the backer, he was the Badgers quarterback in 93 when they, they clobbered UCLA in the Rose Bowl. Bowl. Yeah, so they, he waxed them then. So, I mean, he, he's got a good affiliation with the people, but he's been away long enough, hasn't he, Ryan? He's, first off, he was a quarterback himself. Second off, he's an offensive coordinator, so he fits that attacking style that the Packers want to play. And he's been away from the system long enough and got that experience in a Super Bowl winning team to bring that experience back, but not be bogged down by the internal sort of culture and ethos of the place and to really give it a shake up. But is that enough, Ryan, do you think? Do you think we need to change at defensive coordinator also? I think, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I would say that Capers has probably had his chance now. I mean, Pete, it seems like we've been doing this long enough now, but it seems like ever since we established the fan group in what was that now? I can't remember if it was 13. Yeah, I think it was, yeah. Yeah, so 2013. So it feels like ever since we've been doing this, we've been fending off questions about Capers being sacked. Yeah. doesn't it yeah. like everyone's been going on about it forever um now i i he's we all keep saying no, he's, he's got to go soon because the defense just generally it's had its moments over the years where it's been really really good but for the most part it seems to be a little bit outdated and certainly this year it's just not working so i think more than likely you would see this way well, it's how i would do it anyway i'm not going to say more than likely because i'm really not close enough to the team to make that assumption but the way I would look at it is that uh, Edgar Bennett would remain as the offensive coordinator mm. um, to have some continuity because continuity is is good. There are positives to it. Um, I think you need a new defensive coordinator uh, and, and I think we probably need to go a new head coach. But for me, it doesn't even stop there because, and this is probably the big one, I know there's the, the big thing out there in Ted we trust. And I think I absolutely believe that. But I think we're probably coming to the end of his road as well. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I, th- I think we are. Now, I know that the Packers, I mean, we love them to death and they need to be protected like, you know, a precious commodity. And as you said, continuity, it's a great point, is very good. And we, we need to keep some type of core element with changing enough to make a difference. Um, but yes, I think the whole draft and develop thing... Um, perhaps needs to go I think we need to start making a splash and there's only one person that I think of Ryan and I know you're probably thinking the exact same thing there's only one man who can carry on his father's legacy into that position to try get the desired effect and are you gonna say it with me (laughs) (laughs) is it the wolf man it's the wolf man I mean I think we need to get him in there you know and I think but I don't know I look I as you said we can make these assumptions and we can call for people to be sacked. I'd hate for people to be calling for me to be sacked after a poor performance. And it's very harsh and all of that type of gear. Um, but we do need a change. And are we doing the same thing as the American people where we just want to change for change's sake? And do we have viable options out there to choose from? You know? I... Look, this is this is where I think we are with Elliot Wolf first, and then I'll get on to your next point. Um, Elliot Wolf is as I was reading a piece that Rob Domofsky did. Uh, again, another name that if you're following the Packers, you know Rob Domofsky is. He's pretty much I think is he the Packers 
beat guy for ESPN, ESPN or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, I'm not sure the his exact stuff title. Is unrivaled as well. He's brilliant. Yeah. It's that sort of thing. I mean, if if you're not following him, follow him because he, he always seems to be first on it. Um, but he said, you know, this Elliot Wolf has had five promotions under Ted Thompson um, over the years that Ted Thompson's obviously been with the team, um, and it's basically the feeling, the accepted feeling that he is the succession planning for the Packers at, at, at the GM position. Yeah. Is that when Ted Thompson decides to hang up the gloves, um, then, you know, Elliot Wolf's the ready-made replacement to come in. Um, he's another one of those guys, a bit like we said with Bevel, he will be a head coach somewhere very soon. If the Green Bay Packers don't utilize Elliot Wolf, there's a good chance he will end up being a GM somewhere else. I mean, there's a number of GMs in the league right now that have essentially come from Ted Thompson's tutelage. Uh, Elliot Wolf is the next one of those. And I know obviously they must be keen on him to continue to give him the, the promotions. Um, I think the draft and develop thing is still good, but I think, yeah, there needs to be an element of certainly a, a win now type attitude because like we've said before, there's not going to be lots and lots of years left with, with the players that we have in terms of what you said about, are we just wanting change for, for change sake? Um, I absolutely get what you're saying. Um, I think the problem is, and we need to remember, I think as Packers fans, and this is where it can be difficult sometimes. We've had it very, very good for a long, long time now. And there's a lot of franchises that don't get, you know, one or two seasons at the level that we've played at over the years. So we need to be careful that we don't get the first bit of adversity and then just call for everyone to be fired and, and reload. It's not always the answer. But I think in this case, it's not just in this last few weeks that the problems have been there. Like, you can see elements of it. The defence, the dodgy defence from Capers has been there for a number of seasons where it's sort of been good in games and bad in others. The, I guess, lack of aggression in free agency has been there um, and now has come to really bite us in the butt because we've really suffered in, in, in with injuries and so on. So that's probably been there from Ted's part. Um, but there's been a number of signs. I mean, last season, yes, we lost Jordy Nelson, but should the team have essentially performed as bad as it did at times that year because we lost that one guy. Don't think it should have done. So I don't feel like it's a fact of we're jumping all over it now and jumping on some sort of fire everybody bandwagon. I think the signs have been there and it's just that actually now it's really starting to come to a head where too many players are injured and we're probably too far down this stubborn way of playing, dated way of playing for it now to actually be able to climb back out of it. Yeah. So we're getting on, so we have to finish the podcast. But look, we promised people that we would address it in an intelligent way, not in sort of an overreacting way. Uh, we hope that we've done that, and um, we've broken down some stats. We've we've looked, we've taken the poison pill, and we've talked about the coach and sackings and how we feel about it, um, which is always a hard thing to do, especially when you cover the uh, the Packers as closely as we do, and you love them as much as we do, and you spend all your money on them as much as we do, and your free time. You get home from work and you you play with the baby and then you're up doing Packer stuff till four in the morning. I mean, look, no one takes this lightly. We we certainly don't. And hopefully we've done it some good. And look, the next podcast is not going to be as gloomy and depressing. We'll try break down where we see we can make advantages, disadvantages for the game. Um and look, we're all in it together. Okay. Right. Let yeah. me ask you this thing. quick question whilst you because there was almost a glimmer of positivity there. I felt it. Positivity. Yeah. So we got seven games left. How many of them are we going to win? Well, I mean, you have to look at the schedule, right? So it's Redskins, Eagles, yeah. Texans, Seahawks, Bears, Vikings, Lions. I'm going to fall into the trap now of making predictions that <laughs> I have no basis or backup just based on feeling to what I believe the Packers. Do you know what? The Irish people are really good at this. We had a soccer team that used to be good years and years and years ago under Jackie Charlton. And uh, 
then what we did was ever since then we've just assumed we're going to get to the world cup every year and then we tank and then sack our coach and go to his fault when we have to realize that we're not that great at soccer anymore so but anyway i'm going to do the irish thing and just assume we're great redskins i reckon we bounce back and beat them and then the players give us this smug of like you should have believed us so i reckon we beat them we fall to the eagles we beat the texans because they're atrocious we put the seahawks to a close game and then they beat us we beat the bears we beat the vikings and then we get bet by the lions and we come in second that's my gathering what about you okay uh i bet we beat the redskins yeah you you like that you like um that. do you hear his latest we... one no go on what's the next one it's something like that it's something ridiculous That's terrible he needs to go back to you like that oh, big um eagles i think the wentz train derails and we uh we win that one they're both late kickoffs by the way yeah brutal oh one thirty starts mm. um texans i don't know and Texans, I keep, I keep thinking to myself, yeah, we'll win that. Uh, and then you think, uh, actually, no, because we're not playing that well. But Texans, we should win. Seahawks, I'm guessing, will be a loss. Bears, we win. Vikings, and uh, them last three games, Bears, Vikings, Lions, that's going to that's gonna be the decider, isn't it, right there? Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to say seven wins out of seven. <laughs> oh, Jesus. There you go. I've said it. <laughs> we spoke about yeah just blind bias yeah, yeah so there it is there is no facts <laughs> no, no form to guide it yeah we've just said how we're playing the worst we've ever played but it's okay because we'll win the next seven games yeah we've been the worst since scooter mclean since we absolutely bombed but anyway we have to go so we hope you enjoyed it and we didn't bum you out too much uh the next podcast is going to be a lot more positive keep giving us reviews on itunes they're great they're really helping us out get us up the charts uh keep it going but look for myself at steady the nfl on twitter follow the group at uk packers and me old buddy me old pal at ryan peacock nfl it's goodbye for this week nfc north champs <laughs>